I'm Chuck Norris, and I approve this game. Welcome to the Roll for Initiative Podcast. This is the Roll for Initiative Podcast. DM Vince is back, yes, alongside DM Nick. Good day, everyone. Yes, and joining us this week, uh, a voice from, you've heard recently, DM, yes, he is DM now, DM Tim. Hey, guys, glad to be back again. Yes, yes. glad to have you, Tim. Matt will not be joining us this week because he's doing, uh, I believe, a filming with his, uh, that forty that film crew that he does things with all the time, he'll be attending that this weekend. And yes, they make those things called, what are they called? Movies. Yeah. They move, yeah. Yes, I heard about this thing. Yeah. yeah it's just days. a fad. Just a fad, yeah. Just like Facebook, just a fad. <laughs> the internet's a fad, too. It is? Yeah. That's oh, what so I read cool. on the internet. So, uh, Nick, you've been out the longest. What have you been up to? Absolutely Nothing. All right, good. We'll move on. No, oh. Actually, yeah, I to tell you the truth, I've just been busy with other stuff around home. Really? I haven't done any role gaming. <gasps> besides, I mean, not any role playing gaming stuff. Um, I was going to say role games, Nick. That's pretty interesting. Uh, I've really, I've just uh, downloaded uh, Mame. You know, the multi uh, arcade. Uh, Basically, you could do all these emulations of arcade games on your computer or whatever. And cool. So it's been around for a while. I've just been doing that. been kind of fiddling around with that. Just kind of fun doing some old 80s and 70s shooter stuff. That's but, awesome. Yeah, it's fun. It's fun. I remember how I can imagine, like, when I was a kid, I don't know how. Now I understand how I ate through my whole allowance at the arcade when I went there. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, my God. God, how many quarters would I have pumped in in this thing? This is insane. <laughs> Gosh, arcades. I remember those days as a kid running uh, to the store every week. They had little arcade stores. Oh, love it. There's a fantastic documentary that was done, I think, about four or five years ago called Chasing Ghosts. Oh. And it's about all these guys in the early 80s did all these um, th- th- hot top scores on things like Space Invaders, Asteroids, Berserk, Joust, oh, uh, so they Galaga, you they name it. And they had like this big contest. And it's kind of like a where are they now kind of thing. Where are they now? Uh, some of them, uh, well, you just see the documentary. See. <laughs> wow. Actually, most of, them, most of the guys turn out okay. Some of them are just a little, whoa. <laughs> Uh, you did what? <laughs> I can't believe that. There used to be every corner there was like an arcade or some type of oh, yeah. arcade game in a, like the candy stores or something. Now you're lucky if you find it in the mall. You have to go to Dave and Buster's and half the time they're broken and yeah. they stink. And... Yeah, it was a short-lived time, that whole you know video game arcade golden age probably. But oh, it was short it was a wonderful time. 20 years. I wouldn't call that a short time really. Yeah, you know, I think it was because there was that big fallout and I think it was 83 where there was like a big video game crash 
all contributed to E.T., the extraterrestrial, non the Atari 2600. That game drove me nuts. Yeah, you know the urban legend behind that, right? Should I? Oh, you haven't heard? Is that the one with the landfill? Yes, and it actually happened. They designed that game like within six weeks because the guy who was the head of Atari at that time promised uh, Universal, particularly Steven Spielberg, we're going to have this out by Christmas. It was like October, you know, (laughs) when he made this promise. It was like September or October. So they designed this game super fast. It was craptacular, as we all know. And uh, they had so many returns on it that all the games that were returned, plus the ones that weren't sold, they took them all to a landfill, I believe in Arizona, dumped them all, crushed them, and put a concrete slab over them. (laughs) Okay. Like toxic waste. I mean, just destroyed them all because it was such a loss for Atari. It literally killed Atari after like 82 or 83. It practically drove it into the ground. I remember it being a bad game. I didn't know you could return it, though. Oh, it was horrible. Yeah, I remember someone getting it. I don't think I got it, but it was just that one. And I think which really broke the... You know, broke the whole thing was uh, their rendition of Pac-Man. I remember getting that one. That's dumb. <laughs> yeah, and Donkey Kong too. The Atari Donkey Kong. Yeah, the Atari Don- Donkey Kong stunk, but uh, the kind of the rebound was ColecoVision. I remember ColecoVision. Oh, Coleco, I had that. Coleco was uh, was the closest thing to the arcade too. It yeah. was darn close. Yep. That, to the arcade experience in television, that too. And I think what really they pulled it off was I think you got Donkey Kong with the ColecoVision. And uh, they had great emulations of like that and Zaxxon, Pac-Man. Yeah. So, anywho. Yeah, that's my late thing. Kind of some nostalgic stuff. I used to play on the ColecoVision, the Dukes of Hazard game. The Dukes of Hazard game? You remember that game? They had a I've never even Hazard. heard of that. No, I didn't even know. Oh yeah, you you had to buy a special uh, steering wheel with a shifter and a pedal. All right, and you got to drive the General Lee all around and through traffic. Like it was a driving game, and like Boss Hog, which no, is a driving game. I thought it was a drinking fighting game. <laughs> well, it could be if you watch the first season of the show. You womanize and do things like that. Yeah, well, who wouldn't? Yeah, but uh, yeah, you'd have to run away and like you'd cause havoc like, in, on the road, and like Boss Hog or Roscoe would chase after you. And would you do like a jump and you go yeehaw and no. then freeze frame and go, yeah, them new boys are at it again. So, no, but you did hit the horn and played the uh, the. Yeah, that. Yes, I did play that. Yes, that. Yes, I went there. <sighs> Take two. Anyway, oh, man. <laughs> come on. That was no. perfect. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, okay, cool. Anything else, Nick? No, that's pretty much it. All right, so we'll go to me with Skip Tim. We don't care about him. Right <laughs> <laughs> he's DM Tim now. By yeah, the way. I know. He's he's one of the folk now. He's DM Tim. Yes, you're part of the you're part of the the the, the uh, collective now. The inner circle. One inner of circle. us. One of us. Anyway, oh, I like that movie. Yeah. 
you would. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, so my game actually got canceled this week because we had lack of players. Everyone started dropping out. Things happened. I can't yeah. stand that. But, you know. I, yeah, real life. <laughs> yeah. I would have brought other games, but people didn't really seem interested in playing anything else. So I just kind of was like, eh, I'll just stay home. And I wound up playing League of Legends all weekend on my computer. Yeah, it's something. Yeah, it's something, definitely. And then we, my wife and I saw Grown Ups 2. More like, I'm sorry. Yeah, more like throw up too. But anyway, <laughs> the movie just absolutely made no sense. I mean, I was it painful? It was like a train wreck. I mean, the only cool part was was Stone Cold Steve Austin was in the movie, and that was about it. Like <laughs> wow. Rob Schneider wasn't even in the movie. I'm like, he's he must have read the script and went no. Who wasn't in it? Rob Schneider. Oh, he wasn't in it. No, nope. really. I think that's the first uh, Adam Sandler movie he has not been in. Wow. Yeah, but the rest of the cast was there. I mean, Kevin James was there and everybody. Mm. Kevin James, is, he's gained all that weight back, too, which I was surprised at. I guess Shaquille O'Neal was in it, too. Yeah, he played stupid part. I mean, well, you know, he is. <laughs> yeah. I am Kazam. Yeah, great Kazam was in it. Yeah. Yes. Let me put my gold bond spray upon myself. It was like they wrote the script like when they were drunk one night. It just was a lot of chick and dude jokes and fart uh, jokes and oh, it's horrible oh no yeah it was like a, it was like it was like they were back in college and they were just to, you know write a movie oh i could produce this and you can't type thing i think adam sandler's jumped the shark he really hasn't produced a good movie in quite a little while now oh well yeah whatever i mean is it manos hands of fate bad no or? it's not that bad but okay i'm mean. <laughs> like it's just like the plot is just like meh. There's no meh. purpose to the movie. <laughs> they just it shows them updated ten months later. They're living in their you know the little suburban town, and of course they have a problem with the frat house kids again, and that's just dumb. <laughs> oh well, really, really dumb. I don't know. If you want so to not see recommended. It, no, folks. If you want to go see it, go ahead. Uh, but <laughs> but I don't. Don't recommend it. You might as well just. Take your seven dollars and burn it. <laughs> yeah, definitely. and that's probably much more fulfilling. So Tim, what you been up to? Uh, over the past week, I played actually a, a lot of games, more than usual. I uh, oh, I started an online game, uh, Google Hangouts game for Astonishing Swordsmen and Sorcerers of Hyperborea. I kicked Ooh, off one shot. It's pretty fun. It's it's very similar to AD and D. But there are a few tweaks. There are a lot of different character classes that make it interesting. But there are also a few tweaks in resolving like tests of strength. And thieve skills are a little bit different. For example, thieves don't roll percentile dice, or you don't roll percentile dice for the thief. They roll a d12, and they have like a d12 resolution system. It's pretty cool. It's a lot of fun, and it's uh, the setting is kind of embedded within the system itself. So it's based on Clark Ashton Smith and Robert E. Howard and Lovecraft kind of uh, vibe. So that was fun. We actually kicked that off a week a week ago, and we're going to try to play another session tonight. So that one shot kind of turned into a campaign with the, these online players. So we'll see if that if that continues to go off. And then I also had a chance to go visit my, my colleague at the school who's running the summer program, the summer game design program. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. 
And, and I would like to uh, give a shout-out to Cinnabar from the OSR forums because he actually sent me a large package full of miniatures and some game books to donate to this program oh, wow. and to donate to our after-school program. So uh, it was a very generous box full of goodies, and I, I definitely want to thank him for that. The kids will, I think, get a, get a lot of amusement out of using lead miniatures and, and having an extra DMG and Monster Manual to reference. So I definitely appreciate it. John's but the yeah, the kids, as part of the program, they worked in groups to design their own role-playing games, and I assumed they would either model it after D&D or maybe do um, their own riff on, on the rules, but they ended up designing things that were, that were relatively unique. Both of the groups that I played with, I was kind of a playtest guinea pig in their groups, and these are kids who are at-risk kids, so they, they, they had failed classes during the year, so they're not top-notch students, but they put together these games that were pretty cool. One was based on... Basically, it's like World War II, but with zombies. One was a parallel universe where the D&D world kind of continued into the present day, and so you still had orcs and halflings and, and elves. Uh, but our, our players were actually working at Chernobyl, <laughs> and there was a radiation leak, and I, I was playing a half-orc janitor. And it was it was a pretty cool uh, setting, and the system made a lot of sense. And they had some trouble writing up the rules in a clear way, but but when they explained the rules and actually ran the games, the, the games ran rather seamlessly. And so that was that was a lot of fun to play and, and see those kids really step up and, and game master their original games. And so I did that, and then I also ran a Champions game on Friday night with my brother and a few friends. That's an ongoing pulp 1939-era Champions game, and that was pretty cool. They're exploring a, an island off the coast of Peru filled with a lot of strange and unusual unusual and horrible things. And then I was supposed to, like all that happened in one week, and I was supposed to start an Oriental Adventures campaign last night with Ooh. with a guy in Google Hangouts, but he didn't get enough players to kick it off, so that was postponed. And that would have been my first chance ever to actually play Oriental Adventures. I've never been a player in that setting before. I love that setting, and a lot of people don't, but it's rare to find a game, so if you do, jump on it. Yeah, I think he is still looking for additional players, so that was part of the issue, is that three people committed, myself included. One guy had technical difficulties, one guy didn't show up, and I was the only one to show up. So if anybody's possibly interested in doing a Google Hangouts game with Oriental Adventures, if they want to contact me via the forums or via the show or whatever, that would be uh, something maybe I could connect you with so we can get some more players in that game. What's the uh, time zone and time and day and everything you might want well, to Well, we tried doing it uh, at 10 o'clock p.m. Eastern time on a Saturday. I don't know if that's going to be the regular time. He's going to reschedule for another day and another time, but we'll see. It'll probably be later at night, so probably late Eastern time, uh, either during the week or on a weekend. Don't know exactly. What character were you going to try playing? I was playing a Bushi, oh. whose father was a criminal, and his father had been uh, killed recently, and he, everything he learned about fighting he learned from his father. And he was actually uh, a slight martial artist who had a nunchuck specialty, and he didn't have any money. So he was trying to – so he's trying to redeem his family honor and uh, earn some money at the same time. And so we'll see if we can get that Oriental Adventures game off the ground and then uh, once again continue that Astonishing Swordsman and Sorcerers game. Hopefully every Sunday night. That's the plan. Not, oh yeah, that's, they were uh, nominated for an, an any award. I think in three different categories. Three, too. yeah, very impressive. Yeah, so wow. Along with the mazes and perils, yay! Yay, mazes and perils. Mazes and perils is Congrats. nominated for an any. We'll see what happens. See if it wins. 
Let's cross our fingers and toes. <laughs> Crossed. Yeah. So that's that. Uh, let's head into Sage Advice. Sage Advice. All right. Sage Advice this week. We have a couple emails. No voicemails. But if you'd like to leave a voicemail, it's 570-865-4210, the hotline. First email comes from Jim Q. And he says, hey, guys. My group just picked up first edition after a very long hiatus for some and for the first time for others. We have come to a disagreement about the effective bonus for taking double weapon specialization. Some argue the plus three slash plus three bonus stacks with weapon specializations for the plus one slash plus two bonus given the fighter an effective bonus of four slash plus five with said weapon. Others argue that taking double specialization only gives you an effective bonus of three plus three slash plus three. The rule text in Unorthocana is a little vague and debatable. I apologize if you've covered this subject before. Please help us. P.S. Thanks for the podcast. It has given me tons of insight and enthusiasm to roll against a Thac zero table. What's a Thac zero? <laughs> what is that? I don't know. I don't know. What what is sure, Jim. Thac something. I don't know what he's talking about. Once more. Mm. So, uh, Nick, you have the unearthed counter in front of you, correct? Yes, I do. And what does that yeah. rule uh, say exactly? Yep, in Unearth Arcana, page 18, weapon specialization for the fighter. And I guess Ranger, too. Ranger can also uh, specialize. But if you look under double specialization, again, just like standard specialization, it takes a proficiency slot. And only melee weapons, excluding pole arms and two-handed swords, may be double specialized. So you cannot double specialized... In missile weapons, so there. <laughs> uh, what it says about the bonuses, double specialization gives the wielder plus three to hit and plus three to damage with a with that specific weapon. So, to me, and it sounds like to me it's not a cumulative or a stacked on with the standard specialization. Yeah. I think it would explicitly say that if it did. And also from my experience, I've never seen it to where someone made it cumulative cumulative with or stacked on with standard specialization. Yeah, with first edition, nothing stacks unless it actually says can be added, cumulative, everything. Just the rule of thumb with, with first edition, nothing stacks. The specializations don't stack. The only thing that would stack to it would be any strength bonuses. Yeah. This is another reason why I don't use things like double specialization because there's too many – the rules, just too much room to argue, and players like to argue these things, especially munchkin-type players that like to argue, ooh, I can get a plus five. Well, it doesn't say that. No, no. It's it's a plus three (laughs) slash plus three. That's – Mm-hmm. How I do it, and that's how Nick would do it. Tim, what about you? I actually don't use weapon specialization in my games. The the one Oriental Adventures game that we we're going to play would be my first exposure of actually using it. When I run AD and D, I don't I don't even use that option. I don't use non weapon proficiencies, and I don't use yeah. weapon specialization at all. Non weapon proficiencies are a joke. That's not part of the edition. And uh, yeah, I don't usually usually use weapon specialization because it's so much room. 
for interpretation that yeah. people like to take advantage of it, and I'd rather just skip it. I I use weapon specialization, but a little modification to it. Oh, tell us. I I uh, I don't allow rangers to have specialization. I only allow fighters to mm. have specialization because I think rangers have enough special abilities as in and of themselves to make them unique amongst the every I think every character class has something unique to it and initially the fighter really just didn't have much of anything so I thought you know weapon specialization for a fighter is a pretty cool thing to make it at least somewhat enticing for someone to play if that if they're looking for someone hey I want to play a guy who gets the big honking sword well there you go play a fighter and if you want to use proficiency slots to the special, you know, the gain that, then by all means go for it. So that's how I play it. Yeah, I agree with you there. I think the, the ranger has enough of uh, an advantage over the fighter, and he doesn't right. need he doesn't need any more. Yeah, rangers, paladins, even you know, clerics, druids. Each each of those classes has something special. The the fighter really doesn't have anything. He's just a stick jock. You know, he's he's a sword and board guy. That's all he got. Meat shield. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. He's eighty twenty percent meat. No, anyway. <laughs> no, I think that makes sense, Nick. I think you know if I if I use the weapon specialization, it would be exactly for that purpose. That's a good adoption of the rule, I think. Yeah, I think when they put in fighters and rangers, I'm like, Ooh. Uh, in in <laughs> retrospect, now I'm like, great. Now you're going to make rangers even that much more, you know, <laughs> annoying. Yeah. <laughs> well, they're, they're they're just overpowered, really. I mean, they start with double hit points off the bat, so that's huge. Well, I guess. Well, that's but... why Unearthed Arcana is optional rules. Yep. Yeah. They all are, though, really. Well, yeah, I guess you're right. True. But I'm officially... still trying to figure out how a kobold is a giant class creature, but hey. <laughs> yeah, well, whatever. So there's the answer to that. Thank you, Jim. Second one comes from Tommy. He was saying, I was wondering if a party is fighting, un- uh, wondering what happens, if, uh, let me start that over again, sorry. I was wondering if a party is fighting undead and starting to lose, decided, and then decide to run away, which is smart, he has in parentheses, and comes back later, say about eight hours after resting. Would that undead that they were fighting heal or be at the same amount of hit points he was left at when the party ran away? Thanks, guys. Well, hmm. first we have to say what type of undead, because undead is yeah. a big category. But yeah. let's say it's a, a band of zombies, for example. Mm, we'll work great. The zombies will not heal. No. They um, will not heal. Neither skeletons. Yeah. Most of your mindless undead won't. Unless there's a they have a natural heal ability, such as like a vampire does, or some other... Healing ability, they're gonna. Yeah, it's not like an MMO or PG online when things regenerate hit points when you run away. No, no. So you're saying those wouldn't heal ever? So if they came back three days later, they would still have the same hit point loss, is what you do? How would they? I would think so. Uh, How would they heal? Unintelligent undead like zombies and skeletons, absolutely. How would they heal? They're they're dead. Right, unless there was like a necromancer in the area who wanted to boost them up, which would be kind of like a plot point more than a mechanic. Yeah, right. Yeah, I I agree. I I don't think that they, and and usually I don't 
tend to have stuff heal. And the eight-hour question is interesting because it's like it's just enough time for them to heal, quote-unquote, by the rules if it were a living creature. But but I don't know if I would ever have things heal within that period, to be honest. If it's the same day, I tend to think, well, they still have the same hit point loss. Right. I know yeah, a, lot of, I... a lot of DMs will heal creatures, heal right. players and stuff like that just to make it a little bit easier and fun. Mm. So... I think, though, like we're saying, like zombies and 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 skeletons, they wouldn't heal in of themselves, like you said, like unless there was a necromancer around. Yeah, and they were probably his own minions anyway. So yes, he would quote unquote heal them, which would be like repairing them. Right. You know, he would he would go down to the local you know Home Depot and get what he needs to fix them. <laughs> Hammer some more bones on those ribs. Whatever. Yes. <laughs> get yeah. some spackle. But if, they were, if they were trapped in a cave or something and the players managed to escape and trap them in a room, they'll probably still stand in there trying to find their way out or just stand there swaying back and forth until you come back again. Yeah. Yep. Now, for more intelligent undead like ghouls, ghasts, oh, yeah. you know, vampires, mummies, or and I don't even think mummies, but there are certain undead that have the potential of healing themselves. Yeah. Doesn't necessarily mean that they will. It depends on a lot of things happening, but there there's the possibility. I think things like vampires and liches, I I would think because they're intelligent undead, you know, they have been hurt. They would find in that eight hours time a way to 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 you know to fix themselves. Well, yeah, I would think any creature that's intelligent would try to figure a way out to heal itself. Yeah. So whether it's undead or not. So basically, the, the short of it is, it depends on the type of undead. Yeah, and no soup for you. No. Oh, okay. <laughs> Never. Sorry. Two weeks, no soup. No soup. And uh, this, thank you, Tommy. Next question comes from DM Kenny. Kenny. <laughs> yes, I was waiting for you to say something. Kenny. <laughs> Oh my god, you can't. No, anyway. Is he a little Japanese kid that wears shorts? No. He runs around with a giant turtle named Gamera? Gamera, Gamera. Gamera is really neat. Gamera, Gamera is full of meat. We all love Gamera. Anyway, MST3K for you folks. Yay. Hey guys, great show. Just wondering what the proper level was for a paladin to quest for a holy avenger. I am a new DM and new to D&D itself, so I don't have the basic D&D knowledge most players have. Thanks, DM Kenny. Okay, Kenny, since you caused all those problems in Japan with Gamera, my answer is never. No. Oh, <laughs> sorry, you're out of luck. All right, next email. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> no, I don't know. I, I, don't I don't think know. there is a proper level to start questing for it. No, I mean that could be like a, a motivator, definitely right from the get go for a. Maybe he's um, maybe he. I'm just looking at this question, and I'm thinking maybe he's thinking, what's the proper level for him to have it? Maybe, yeah, maybe that's more along the lines we was asking because I'm saying what's the proper level? Now the start questing for it. Hey, right away that could be a plot point right from the get go yeah, for a could paladin. Be, wouldn't you be, think? Yeah, that could be a campaign in itself, questing for the Holy Avenger. Yeah, yeah. But what level uh, did you say, Nick? To have one? Ooh, gosh. Considering its bonuses and everything. Yeah, Holy Avenger. Well, I got... It's... 
God, what is that bonuses on that thing? Uh, offhand, I think it's a plus five eventually. Isn't it, or is that Holy the Avenger plus five yeah. in the hands of a paladin. Yep. Um, you know, I would say to have one, I would say I would say seventh level, just off the top of my head, because it's so powerful. Minimum level. Yeah, I would say questing around four or five, and then yeah, seven. yeah. Start the quest, or maybe around fourth or fifth level. Maybe start even dropping hints, even at the lower level, right? Mm-hmm. You know, just to kind of, you know, whet the player's appetites. Like, well, such and such um, old crone down the road has knows maybe uh, where some um, knight who lived 150 years ago, his tomb may be. But uh, he could be Christopher Walken. Yeah, I wasn't even going there, but hey. <laughs> but you know, yeah, you could drop hints here and there about stuff. You know, drop rumors and and things of that nature. Maybe around fourth or fifth level. Yeah, he can actually start going looking for this thing and make it a huge, yeah, uh, a plot and a, a adventure in itself for the whole party. Maybe there's somebody else trying to get it they want to destroy it maybe there's something associated with actually a good way to to drop that into a campaign maybe this particular holy avenger sword is a whoever wields it gets the rights to a kingdom or something like that they get to make sandwiches or make sandwiches no not make sandwiches (laughs) they can't use it to spread the mustard or the mayonnaise no peanut (laughs) It would spread it really well. It would be great at spreading. It would be great at spreading. Plus five to spreading. Plus five five to spreading. spreading Particular condiments. That's a non-weapon proficiency, though, so we wouldn't use it. Oh. Well, what about cutting sandwiches in half? (laughs) That's close. That's That's a weapon specialization. Yes, but you get your plus five bonus. Awesome. And I guess a a definite specialization would be cutting in corners and stuff like that. And fourths. (laughs) Anyway. <laughs> cut now, off the crusts. Yeah, cut off the crusts. Specialized. That's a non-weapon proficiency, wouldn't it be? I don't know. Cutting Have off. you guys actually played with with the Holy Avenger appearing in your games? No, uh, never. once, 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 once. Really? Yeah. What level was that when the the character or the uh, player the tenth got level? It? Tenth, tenth level. level. Yeah, I thought that was a bit high, but that's what the DM decided. Yeah, I just thought plus five is is a huge difference than the average magical sword you're likely to come across. So I don't know. Yeah, I, I was thinking the upper the upper single digits would be appropriate for a, for a Holy Avenger to be found. But you're right. I think laying the seeds early is really uh, a cool, cool feature. Mm-hmm. And, and then we uh, we found it and we wound up going into Ravenloft and we all died because it was a giant magnet on top of the paladin magnet. So. <laughs> oh, terrific. Yeah. I was like, yay, we're all dead. New campaign. Huzzah. Huzzah's right. And then became Huzzah, the, we're all dead. Thanks. Thanks, the Ravenloft. Son, yeah. The son of avenging the death of. Yes. Yep. <laughs> and who was being attacked by Manos, the hands of fate. Oh, God. Nick, leave that movie to rest, please. I know. <laughs> Pick a different movie. That is such a the giant Gila monster? Okay. I like that movie. Yeah. <laughs> The fact that they made fun of the monsters the whole time during that movie. Yes. Every time the car came driving by. I love that one. Good old classic Joel. Yep. All right. Our last email comes from Steven. 
Quick question for you all. Have you had experiences with planning your game? <laughs> of course we have, yes. Yes. Oh, yeah. Okay. So far. Yes. Great show. <laughs> and waiting all week, and then suddenly people let you know the day before they can't make it. Obviously, uh, yeah, we've all experienced that, so yes. Yep. Which messes up your game plans, and you are left with only just a few players. What have you done, and what are your experiences? Please share with us uh, your wisdom, Stephen. I actually have some interesting I have an interesting answer to that several actually uh in our standard group generally what happens is um somebody if somebody doesn't show up and it irrevocably is at least one or two people Usually what happens is we'll say that person's character is up out of the dungeon with the wagon. <laughs> so, <laughs> all right. <laughs> I'll, I'm like, okay, fine. I, I can work with that. Just because they're not here doesn't mean they can't be useful. So that's why I usually do. Um, unless it, it's something that is contributes to the plot unless someone has left and it could contribute to the plot then we try to do something alternate that evening you know i i try to not leave my game uh each each the end of each session where we kind of decide yeah this is a good place to stop and that's a consensus thing by the way it's not just my say so I go with the whole entire group. It's like, is this sound like a good place to stop? And I don't like to stop things in the middle of the action. I I don't like the I don't like doing that because if we do in the next session, you know, two people were like right in the middle of like a combat that was going on, and we leave it there. Well, that totally reshapes the whole dynamic of the combat. So I was like, well, now what do we do? Sometimes you have people that don't show up, but people have that person's character sheet. So I'm like, okay, great. <laughs> Play their character. Auto they might follow. not like the outcome, but... <laughs> yeah, they're on autofollow. Yeah, well, you know, I, I, I have had that where either um, a person doesn't show, but the other person's here is like, yeah, hey, you know what, I have their character sheet. And they said it was okay for me to play them. I'm like, okay. If they said it's all right, I'm not going to stop you. But that's that's perfectly fine with me. Or um, I've also had it to where um, someone will show up late, and that's okay. And they usually announce that. Or they'll show up late, and the other person has their character sheet, and they get all mad and said, you did what to my character? <laughs> You yeah. said it was okay for him to play it, <laughs> but I'd say I could walk down a you know a hundred foot cliff into a, a molten uh, lava. I mean, <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah. Oh well. There's a lot of ways. I mean, well, yeah. DM should regulate things like that. Well, you know, that's going against what he would normally do as a player. And oh yeah, I know, I know. I was kidding on that respect. I, I mean, so. yeah. We 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 uh. I mean, we try to keep it a little common sense. Uh-huh. He's the you trap opening, opening door. We don't opening. intentionally try to kill other people's characters if they're not around. Not intentionally. 
Yeah. But um, I don't know. It, it really depends on if how crucial they are to, I guess, to the uh, particular plot uh, that's going on. Yeah. So if, but it doesn't hurt, like I said, to have a plan B if, so, if either one or multiple people don't show and you can't really get the game going, you know, have something else going on. It, I, I think that's where a lot of things like board games come in, you know, you know some of your, uh, I mean, hell, <laughs> break out Settlers of Catan or play zombies, you know, something like that. I mean, or, you know, go out on a limb and say, hey, guys, this would be a good chance for us to do a one-off in something then. Let's all roll up characters for this one-off. Oh, I want to play Call of Cthulhu or Marvel Superheroes or something. Yeah, always have a backup game like you know Ghostbusters, like we reviewed. Yeah, Ghostbusters. Yeah. There's a one. That's a great game for a one-off. Yep, you can most make characters your, and just play it real quick. Yeah, most of your comedic games are great one-off games. Definitely. So I've yeah. had that happen quite a few times, and I've shown up, and I've only got two or three players, and the campaign's written for nine, and you don't have enough people, and you know the people that do show up, that it's enough to play, but it's not enough of a combination to keep the party alive. Mm-hmm. So you have to make a decision. Do you want to do a side adventure? And if there are enough to keep them alive on a side adventure, do you want to maybe just skip it that week or do a uh, backup one-shot game? But I know a lot of people don't like doing like other games if they're involved with a game. So. Yeah, I've noticed that too. Like, if they're like, oh, we're not playing D&D, oh, I don't want to bother. I'm not coming. It's like, yeah, it's like that's the only thing they know. <laughs> it's like, you know, you know, we can play other games, too. There's other games Yeah, it's okay. <laughs> I remember when I was a kid, we played, like, nine billion games. Literally. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I, oh, yeah. I mean, my God. Who, I mean, on a, over a whole weekend, we would play D&D, Call of Cthulhu, Marvel superheroes, Car yeah. Wars. We'd switch between game from game. We played oh, yeah. Turtles one day, Robotech the next day, Marvel superheroes. Sure, we played. Everything. And that's actually made it more fun, I think. Yeah, I think so too. You wouldn't ever. Nothing would get stale that way. Right, variety is the spice of life. What about you, Tim? Uh, there's a few things you could do. I mean, first of all, I think it is super disappointing to show up and then find out that the game isn't going to run. So I can sympathize with that. Even if you have alternative planned, or you're going to have a, pull out a, a fun board game. If you've been waiting all week to play D&D and then you show up and the game doesn't run, I can see why there's a little disappointment. Yeah. Uh, one of the things I do definitely is whenever I run a game, I always only expect about half the people to show up. Like That's my default. I say, okay, if I want to run a game for four or five players, I will have eight or nine players invited to the game and, and like basically committed to come because I know some are going to bail out. And so I like to, to kind of overextend my invite list and get as many players to possibly come as possible so that you have a bigger group actually show up. I don't mind running a game for just one or two people, but you're right. It's tough if you're in the middle of something that's a nine-person campaign and only two people show up. Your options are – and this, I've done this in the past. I've done campaigns that I knew the player group fluctuated so much that I just used the old reality ripple effect, and I said, okay, this world is, is full of weird things happening, and, and people are phasing in and out of reality, and, and reality is shifting, and so you know this character's here this week, but they're not here next week. They just disappeared, and they're going to pop back into reality the following week maybe, and so I've done that, and that actually works fine as long as you have that as the kind of premise of the setting. You can, you can make that work. I wouldn't want to do that with two campaigns in a row, for example, because that can get tiresome after a while. Um, 
And then the other thing you can do is just you can uh, have the uh, the players pick up NPCs. You can have NPCs join the party. You can have hirelings join the party to kind of flesh it out. And you're right, have the other guys wait up by the, the horse and carriage or whatever, the horse and cart, and they're, they're not participating. Because I have played in games where another player hasn't shown up and I've run his character as a player. So the DM didn't run the character as an NPC. Mm-hmm. Another player ran the character. And that happened to be a role master game. And if you played Rollmaster, you know it's a very dangerous system where anything can happen. Yeah. And so I played this game for almost a year, and I never rolled double zeros ever, except the one oh. time I was playing my friend's character, and I rolled a fumble, and then I rolled a double zero on the fumble, which is the worst possible thing that could happen. And basically the, the monster got like four free attacks against the character because he fumbled so badly. And so that player ended up not, the character didn't die, but the character lost a familiar. And so the player wasn't very happy to come back and find out his familiar had been killed by my rolling. So there always is a danger of having other players play other characters that are not their own. So I I think the reality ripple works. I think having a backup plan for another game works. And then I think, you know, just trying to over overcompensate and invite more people than normal are pretty much the best strategies. Yeah, definitely. I noticed that with, with Skype games, a lot of people like to bail a lot because, you know, they don't know you. You don't know them in person. So yeah. People bail a lot. Or you get, like, an overwhelming surge of people joining. Right. It's one extreme to the other with Skype games, I've noticed. And with Skype games, it's easy to say maybe. Yeah. But it's also easy to say yes and then just bail out. That's yeah. different than saying yes to your friend and then not showing up at his house because there's really you know, there's not much of a like a social rejection if you just say yes to a Skype game and then never show up because yeah, you you're never going to really encounter these people again. Right? You might if you visit the same forums or you let's say if you're on roll 20 together and you say, "Yeah, I'm going to come." and You don't show. The only, that, the only yeah. bad thing that will probably happen for that is that the DM will never accept you in a game again. <laughs> right. Not this guy again. Yeah. I mean, and if you do it more than once, he might put a note on the forum saying this person has said yes and bailed on a bunch of games. Be wary or something. I know but I, I think I, I talked about this last time I was on, too, when we were talking about the length of campaigns. And I mentioned that I just tend not to play in or run long campaigns because of this very issue. Because people the, the attrition and then people don't show up as frequently after a while. So one of the things that you can do if you're running a game is just run – like three session games. And so it might be a continuing overall campaign, but for these three sessions, you're getting five or six people to commit wow. to come. And then maybe they can't come the next three sessions, but that's okay. Cause it's a different like sub adventure within the overall campaign. I think that's a good strategy too. So you're kind of doing what uh, they do on TV shows, do a little arc and then yeah, restart an arc. arc. Yep. They kind of do that. And I don't know if you ever played the Stargate SG one role playing game. No. That's uh, that and uh, the Buffy the Vampire Angel. They all have that as their premise for for their campaigns is write up small arcs and then work from there. Yeah. So that way if your players bail or something happens, you can always, after three sessions or so, change things. Yeah, I think that's good. Uh, I like the idea now that you're mentioning that again. I should probably start doing that. Thanks, Tim. Hey. Good idea. All right. Thanks, uh, Stephen. Hope that helped you out a little bit to uh, discuss things. We have one last email here, mm-hmm. uh, 40-something minutes into the show. We've done a whole email show here. <laughs> uh, the last email comes from Name Withheld. Ooh. Ominous. Ominous, ominous, ominous. 
it's pretty blunt and to the point, and, and it says, who should handle the snacks when you are playing in a game? <laughs> <laughs> there, There is always one guy who shows up with no money and no food and eats things. Someone has said something, and he basically shrugs and said he is poor. What can we do? That's the whole entire email. Nick, well, what do you think? Well, I would say, um, have you updated your resume lately? And maybe we can help you find a job so we can get some income, <laughs> so we can bring some snacks and drinks to the next game session. How long do you let your friend go before you know you get a little annoyed and say, "Dude, you know we always bring snacks and you just chow down and don't bring anything." You know, it's kind of stretching a friendship thing a little bit long there. So, I'm I'm terrible with snacks. When I run a game, I never have any snacks or even think about it. And I, you know, I don't even. It doesn't even occur to me. For me, games and snacks are a thing people talk about, but it it's not part of my experience with the game. Yeah, but when really. my yeah, when my wife is around, she's such a you know a typical hostess type. She'll we'll be playing a game and she'll pull out the the popcorn or she'll have some uh, some cookies or something. So she'll take on that role when she's around. But oftentimes, you know, if she's not around or she's doing something else, I just don't think of it. I'm so kind of single minded on the game itself as a DM that I don't think mm-hmm. about the hosting responsibilities. And then when I go to play, I just never even think of bringing snacks. But other people do, and I, I don't know. I just don't think about snacks well, that way. I, I don't know. I, it, I guess it really depends on you know, what you consider. Well, I, I guess addressing his question, yeah, if you guys are – if everybody in the group are, are, are really good friends and you know, a, a good friend would be able to take some constructive criticism, I, I would think. It's, and I would, I would say, hey, you know, you've been – you know doing this for quite some time as far as the snacks concerned and you know you really haven't contributed <laughs> i mean yeah. does like three or f- three to five bucks really put you that out you don't have three to five bucks to spend on like you know just some 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 chips and some some soda pop i mean really <laughs> i uh what we did in one of my previous groups we had uh i guess the dm decided because he was buying all the snacks and only a few of us were giving him money, he decided that uh, one week he was just like, you know, I'm not buying snacks anymore, you know. I, my wife and I, we have, you know, our children to support, and <laughs> no one's, you know, only a few people here are giving money, and other people aren't, so we've decided just, you know, fend for yourselves. We're going to have dinner at a certain time, whatever, 6 o'clock, for example, and we're going to order a pizza, so make sure you have money for that. If you want to bring something, bring it. No one will get insulted if you're sitting there eating chips on your own, and that's how we mm-hmm. went from then on. Okay. So that's how we handled something similar to what he's talking about. Yeah. Uh, in my group, it's it, it, right from the very beginning. And my experience has always been with someone would always like bring something to snack on for themselves. Or in this case, in the gaming group that I have with that's been together for like 11 plus years now, everybody brings something and we, and we all share we all, we all, everybody shares what they have, no questions asked, and, and that's just how we are. And we, and, and and that's good for us. And and we always, we always plan for you know something around Thanksgiving or whatever. We always do a cookout in the summer, but yeah, that has never really been an issue with us because I think at least in our group, it's like you know there are some guys who are who are younger, 
most of the teenage guys, and they don't have a whole lot of cash. Well, or if they a, do, I don't know. That's, but <laughs> It's understandable if you're younger and you don't have a job. And right, exactly. Ask but if mommy you're, to buy if your you're older yeah. in your 20s and 30s, and you say you're you're you don't have enough money to to to, to at least, I mean, five bucks can get you a lot of uh, snacks at the Heck. at the store. Dollar store, know? everything's a dollar. Yeah, yeah. go I to mean, the dollar store, buy two bags of chips. There's two dollars you spend plus some tax, whatever your state tax is, or if you don't have it, depending on the state. And there you go, you spend two bucks and two bags of chips. Everyone shuts the heck up. Yeah, and I think for me, you know, if because I don't know if people are – I don't think they're expecting me to bring snacks because most people don't bring snacks when, when I go to a game. But if they said, hey, you know, you two, you're bringing snacks next time, I would bring snacks. But the other question is if this is a guy who is fun to play with – like I'm thinking about people I play with. If it's someone who's mm-hmm. really fun to play with and, they, and, and the expectation was people brought snacks but this guy never did but he was fun to play with – I wouldn't care at all. So I think it's only an issue if the guy's not really that fun to hang out with anyway and right. he's not bringing snacks. Then you're like, oh, this guy again. I think it's more of that situation. It sounds like yeah. in the email. It kind of sounds that way. It does. That this yeah. guy, is they, they consider him a leech or something. A leech. Yeah, he's not as much fun to hang out with apparently. And he's just there eating the food and, and taking up a player spot so they can play and have a, you know an average group of whatever players it sounds like to me. Yeah. That one happens. Yeah, I think you got to just go with it, or or hint that it's his turn to bring snacks, and just say, "Hey, bring snacks next time." And if, if he doesn't, after a while, you can say that's your that's your cost of entry into the game. You got to bring a bag of smart food if you want to play in the game or something. Yeah, bring a bag of chips. It doesn't cost much. A dollar at the dollar store. Ooh. I know. Get your pennies. Go cash cans. You can do it. Pick the garbage. Do something. Recycle. <laughs> yeah. There's nothing you can't do. I mean, yeah, I I've been poor. I've been unemployed for myself. I had a lot of money. I still managed to bring a bag of chips to my games. Right. Yeah. I mean, you just learn how to budget yourself. That's all. Yeah. Or, you know, you borrow five bucks from somebody before the game and you say, all right, I'll hit you back up in two weeks when I get paid. Something like that. So that's all the sage advice we have this week. If you'd like to contact us, contact us. That's 865-4210, the hotline. Uh, sorry, 570-865-4210 or rfistaff at gmail.com. You can visit us at the OSR Gaming Forums, osrgaming.org, where you can visit and talk to all of us, including Nick, who's posting up a lot lately. Yeah, lately. And DM Tim, <laughs> who's been posting up, too. That's right. I'm on the forums. I'm ready to roll. Yeah. Ask me questions on the forums. I will answer them. Yes, you will. And uh, or you can go on Facebook.com slash RFI podcast and you can always contact us there as well. We always answer questions, no matter what. And uh, don't forget to go to iTunes and uh, highlight review and click five stars. No, I'm kidding. And click whatever stars you think our podcast is worth and leave a nice little review and Nick will read it during the stars portion. Or and maybe I won't. Maybe I just don't want that. I just don't feel like it. <laughs> All right, wow. Nick. Yeah, be a little bit moody, Nick. We'll give you a, a tissue. And... Yeah, uh, well, you know what? Tim didn't bring snacks. That's right. <laughs> that was good. I'm I was going to say. I don't Tim did not bring snacks or drinks. So. Yeah. Oh, wow. We'll, have to dis- we'll disconnect Tim in a few seconds here. I didn't get the hint, guys. <laughs> you know what, Tim? You come on my podcast and Don't you even eat- bring snacks. Yeah, and you eat all the time up on the air. And- <laughs> bring a thing of Pringles. Yep. Yeah. All right. So uh, let's head into uh, table manners. Typical 
Of all the evil creatures in the world, I had to find one with table manners. What are you kidding me? I spent years cultivating the worst table manners on the planet. Table manners. Okay, in table manners this week, uh, we're going to talk about uh, time in a campaign and in the dungeon and how time shifts within a campaign, maybe a little bit on timekeeping, keeping track of you know the hours, weeks, months, and a little bit on how time can alter when you're talking about encounters and maybe time for rest and how it's it's a little bit up to interpretation in, in certain circumstances. Right. Um, what got me on this particular uh, topic was <laughs> there was a there was a on a particular forum there was someone who posted on about well it, it the the forum topic started out as basically saying that magic users and I, I and I, I would say any sort of magic wielding class this goes for clerics as well they really don't have a quote unquote penalty to their their um to their spell limit there's really no spell limit on their cast per day and basically this person saying well most dms what they'll do is they'll kind of hand wave and say x amount of hours pass if you're going to take a rest and lo and behold you get all your spells back this was part of their argument also stating that um that any dm that would during your respite for the party while you're trying to memorize spells or in this case clerics praying for spells any, any sort of wandering monsters or something happens during this rest time if a dm does something like that then it would be a jerk move. It's okay. And the topic and discussion went on for several pages. I even got involved, (laughs) to say the least, because this person was looking at the, the rules, or I would say the game as... as a person who's in a gamist standpoint. Okay, and I think there's two ways you can look at this as far as how time is regulated within the game. You have like a gamist standpoint and at a more role playing, but with a slight, I guess, realistic standpoint, I guess would be would be a a theatrical standpoint, I might want to say. A gamist would say, okay, you you go into the dungeon you go into the the room there's an encounter you do your encounter you go on to the next one and then go to the next one okay it's time for our rest period after x amount of counters and this person say okay you have this rest period everything stops you rest you recharge and then you go on to the next encounter okay mm-hmm. this is kind of the argument this person used because they said in no uncertain terms that the cost during the rest time is too high. And this kind of threw people for a loop because they're thinking, well, what cost are you talking about? Yeah. What cost? It's like, 
the cost of maybe something happening during your rest time. That's a cost. That is um, delaying your your given rest time. And using phrase, phrases to that effect, I'm I'm, I'm paraphrasing. I'm paraphrasing here. Okay. But to to uh, this person was basically going upon that point to where it's like your rest time is a given that you it, you must have one you must have your little nap so you get your whoopee and you go to your room and you take your nap but <laughs> so this is how it kind of all went okay now i think there's a couple there's really it doesn't say exactly in the rules that you must have a rest time nor does it say in the rules that the the party as a whole needs to take a rest do they as well, far as i know doesn't it, no it doesn't say you have to rest it's, it's advisable it's advisable yes but not necessary it's not it's not um it's not explicit in rules to say that and i go to the dmg in page 38 that says uh, a party should be required to rest at least one turn in six and in addition, they should rest a turn after every time they engage in combat or any other strenuous activity. Now, it doesn't say must. It says should. Now, if it said must, fine. I'm understanding. But should, it's like saying it's recommended but not required. You know? Yeah, it's a game. You don't have to rest. No, you don't have to rest because... D&D in itself has, at least by this point, when you even look at first edition, has gone, first edition AD&D has gone well beyond its um, wargaming uh, roots. And this is kind of maybe a throwback to that when D&D first started. Because if you look in the original D&D rules, there was a rule something like that to what this person was referring to. But you're talking back in the 1974 rules. You know, when you get to AD&D, which was, I mean, and what the DMG was, 1979, five years have gone by, and you can already tell that the the game in itself, as far as role-playing, has grown beyond that. And it's a little bit more freeform and a little bit more, um, I guess you could say, realistic. Because even during your free time, your your, your downtime, I mean, who has it in an adventuring party? I mean, where they're in the dungeon or they're in the deep, dark goblin forest or wherever it may be, after maybe a couple of encounters, you got some people that are wounded. You got a couple of guys that are down on spells. You're looking for a place to hole up, right? Mm-hmm. Generally, for the most part. So you're going to find what would be considered a relatively safe place to have some rest. Like I said, relatively safe, because we all know by the rules, there's one thing that happens even when you're resting up, especially if you're in the wilderness or in a dungeon environment. Random encounters, correct? Mm-hmm. <laughs> they can happen. I mean, so what if you're holed up at the end of the dungeon uh, hallway? There's a dungeon hallway. There's a 20 by 40 room that's in a – this is kind of like one of the examples I used. is like maybe an abandoned armory. And it seemed like a pretty good place to hole up, you know, to kind of rest up for a few hours, 
and you make all the necessary things to happen to where maybe it's going to be relatively safe. You you bar the door somehow, like maybe uh, put iron spikes, whatever. And magic users resting, memorizing spells, clerics praying, or he's also healing people. People are taking watch, right? Now, it doesn't, depending how long that you rest, I mean, if usually you do a random encounter check once every turn. Mm-hmm. Supposed uh, that, to. And now, that's pretty much standard with the rules. Mm-hmm. Now, but again, this is, you know, this is your game. You don't have to go by the rules exactly. If you want to do random encounters every turn, you can. Uh, maybe the dungeon's a little more active. Maybe two. Maybe it's not active at all. Maybe you only do, like, one random encounter a day. I don't know. I mean, it all depends. It all depends on what the DM uh, has for his game world and for his dungeon or what have you. Mm-hmm. So, I, I, uh, we people try to come back to him and say, this is part of the rules. This is part of the game. And everybody who's ever played, <laughs> and I think most of us can agree here that you come to a point where you're going to have to, the party's going to have to rest just for necessity of maybe uh, getting hit points back and getting spells back and, and, and doing whatever. And those are probably the two primary things besides, you know, eating and sleeping. Um, you know, there's going to be random encounters that are going to happen. But this person said, that's wrong. That's a jerk move. Random encounters shouldn't happen. Why not? <laughs> and that's the whole point of the wandering monster tables is that it it penalizes the the characters if they're taking too much time somewhere because there's an increased chance of encounters. And as you said, in certain areas it's more dangerous than others. So if they if they go back and rest at the inn, there could be a chance for an encounter, maybe depending on where they're you know where the inn's located. But if they're resting in the middle of a dungeon the the chance increases and so that's sure. the entire that's like how the game is designed it's designed to punish people or it's designed to punish players and characters who are taking too much time in dangerous places and i would even argue that's not necessarily a punishment i think that's a simulation of reality right like in the it, real world yes you go about your business say you get up in the morning you get ready for work you drive from your house to your job. It takes, I'll use the example I got on my, it takes me 30 minutes to drive from my house mm-hmm. to my job every day. Okay. Okay. Random encounters could be a wreck on the road, could be a police car chasing somebody down, could be a deer going across the road. And I've seen that, by the way, because I live in Ohio. Uh-huh. <laughs> Those are random encounters. Even though my traveling time is kind of a rest period between my two destinations, things happen. (laughs) There's no guarantee that something will or will not happen in that period. I mean, in a way, I think the random encounter is just like life. Uh, And you can even go beyond that, I think. Uh, even good DMs would like would even look at the dungeon. I'm just going to use a dungeon environment because I think that's something we're all we're all common here too, and that we can all 
um, kind of wrap our heads around because it's it's a it's a how would I say it's a closed environment to the most part. It's a controlled environment versus someplace outdoors. But say you're in a dungeon, and I used in my example in this particular thread that the the party they fight off this eight-headed hydra. They go. And the DM asks, okay, what do you want to do next? Okay, we're going to go check this out over here. You watch the doors. Well, the DM hears all this, and he says, okay, he's looking at what's in the next room. Oh, the two ogres with their and uh, have been woken up because their pet has been killed. So a good DM probably would say, okay, those ogres woke up. They're going to prepare for an attack, maybe, because they heard all this commotion. They flip their beds. They alert the eight orc mercenaries down the way, Get grab their crossbows and long swords. And the uh, ogres get their battle axes at the ready. And then the DM says, okay, what, what do you guys do next? Okay, we're going to go into that door beyond where the hydra was. Okay, you open the door. You see what appears to be two ogres with battle axes behind a, a couple of overturned beds and with seven or eight orcs with crossbows pointing at your heads. <laughs> hmm. So who would not, as a DM, maybe do something like that? Hmm. I mean, does, does, that, does that make sense or does it not make sense? No, it makes total sense what you're saying. Absolutely. It, it makes sense to me too. And one of the things that I've found myself doing lately, I actually learned this from from a DM we've been playing with with the Rollmaster system, is he when he designs his his encounters to make that you know the the setting more interesting, uh, his random encounters, he includes twenty five percent of them as relatively innocuous encounters, but we don't know what those are. You can't always tell. Uh, for example, it might be a horse just you know running right towards you, and it could just be a wild horse. But you're always on guard, and it may end up not becoming a combat thing. Sure. But it was just a random thing that happened. But one of the things I wanted to say about your point was later editions of the game don't have that feature emphasized as much. They don't have that scenario you outlined Mm -hmm. unless it's kind of a planned encounter. There's very few random encounters in later editions of the game. They're all kind of set, uh, staged encounters, and basically – it's almost as if the world, the fictional world of the game, doesn't exist except vaguely in between set encounters. And and that's what I think makes the earlier, especially first edition, but it makes the earlier editions different is that the setting is the thing and the characters are exploring the setting and the setting will interact with them. And in later editions of the game, the story is the thing and it's plot point after plot point and the world doesn't exist outside of those plot points as clearly. Right. I and I think you you hit upon it there big time Tim that it is as is if those people and I think a lot of it has to do with people who have more experience with console gaming mm. as far as or even the er, earlier um I am like the calm role playing games but you know the remember the gold box editions of the D&D adventures mm. stuff like that I mean, they're, it, they're set parameters because you're dealing with something that's a machine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it has to have set parameters, and the hardware and software have to work in a certain way. Well, and pe- some people are used to that, and that's their background. 
when they come into something like a role-playing game, a real pencil and paper paper game, they're they're kind of taken aback. Like, what? You mean I don't get my mandatory rest period? You mean things could happen? <laughs> you mean I I have to prepare for things? You mean really? I don't just automatically get things back like my spells and hit points? Really? No. What? Sorry. Right. And and I think that throws people for a loop if they come from that background. So I, it takes a little bit of, um, you know, I, explanation of those people. It's like, you know, think about how, like, some movies are. Think about, you know, I, I, Lord of the Rings. I mean, come on. You think, do you think when they were looking for, uh, you know, for Sam and, 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 you know, for I would say for Pip and Mary, when they were on the quest run, uh, in the two towers, do you th- those orcs were not just standing by with with the two halflings? Okay, they were traveling on, <laughs> I, and they were they were being hunted down. So it's like it, it it's at least A D and D and most versions before I guess fourth edition. It was. It is about how you interact with that world, with that environment, and there is some randomness there. And with that randomness, there is some danger. There's some risk, and that's the whole appeal of the game, in my opinion. The appeal well, of the game is the randomness, the danger. You got to be on your toes. I think that you know that entire forum thread just it, it, it clearly was was kind of a silly argument. Uh, because you're right, it just doesn't make sense to say, oh, you're guaranteed the eight-hour rest. You're guaranteed to get your spells back automatically, no matter what kind of dangerous environment you put your character in. But but what about this, though? I mean, what if it was a more reasonable uh, debate about this, which was, as a DM, let's say they are camping out in the wilderness, and it's mm-hmm. an, an average uh, danger of wilderness encounters, and it's not... So maybe it's like a, you roll a D8, and if you roll a 1, there's a random encounter and maybe you do it every uh every two hours of 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 sleep or whatever sure but you just happen to roll a bunch of ones in a row and so my question to you as dms is if you roll a couple ones in a row and then those characters never get any rest and after the second random encounter they're all down they're either unconscious or they're down to their last hit point and then do you just stop rolling random encounters at that point because you want to give the characters a break do you do a dm control to say let's slow down the random encounters or else the entire party is going to die i think that's a more interesting question is how you handle that when the randomness becomes so far against the players that the game might just come to a crashing halt that's a good question and i think a good dm knowing how his players are and knowing how they would react to certain ways how, how things go upon in a campaign and how he handles things. I, at least I think it also, I think it comes to the game, di- the, 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 the game dynamic of the player and the, the group, the group dynamic of the players and the DM. That's mm-hmm. what I wanted to try to say. Sorry. Um, if they're okay with the randomness, then I would say go with it. But uh, for me personally, I think I would kind of fudge it a little. I think I would because it's about having fun. And who wants to 
say, yeah, we were killed like a, by a bunch of random encounters where we're trying <laughs> to regain spells and hit points. That doesn't sound fun at all. Maybe, and I think the good point would be like saying, Tim, it's like maybe you just push it to that brink, but then you finally pull back and away and mm-hmm. say, oh, okay, now, you know, you know there, there, there is that rest coming for them. So it's like, yeah, I think I would fudge it as a DM. I, I'm not strict in that respect, you know? Mm. I mean, what about you, Vince? How how would you handle those sorts of things? And as far as them, I would, I'm not really that picky when when players rest. So I mean, unless they're sitting there a long time mm-hmm. and just complaining and plotting, and because my group currently they like to talk things out and decide what they're going to do, which is cool with me because it's fun to listen. Sure. But sure. then I have some other players in the group that sit there going <sighs> like that. Yeah, how much how much yeah. how much game roll time have you guys taken plotting this stuff out? You yeah, know? It's like they're sitting there, okay, we're gonna do this. And then they'll like if they have a map, they'll be like, Okay, we're gonna go up this way. Like they're actually planning a tactical movement on things if they were a professional military. That's how they handle things. And it's cool to watch this as a DM, be like, mm-hmm. Oh, that's interesting. They would have thought they would have done that. And then I got one player or two players sitting there going with their hand on their, you know, their head on their elbow hand, and they're just like, Like, come on, guys, let's go, Ray. And then they just finally just go, I run in. It's just like, you know, annoying. So, Mm -hmm. Well, I guess uh, what would be too much time? I would say if the players take 10 minutes, that's way too much time. Mm-hmm. A couple minutes debating on what you want to do, and if it turns into an argument, that's what the DM is say. Okay, listen, I need a decision. And you're talking just out of, like, your game world time. Just Yeah, 10 minutes. Is the, 10 is minutes of long. real world time to, to yeah. plan something. Right, yeah, but if they're important. plotting, if they're talking, and even if they're, you know, yelling outside of the game, that, in-game, the characters would be theoretically debating the tactics, too, and so that would draw additional attention, and that seems like the time when, hey, you've taken a lot of time, you've been noisy, <laughs> something's coming because you've mm-hmm. been loud. Absolutely, I've done that plenty of times, and the players are sitting there going, "I'm gonna do this." Blah, 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 blah. It's just like, all right, <laughs> right. Make, I, I kind of do that too. Where make a decision. They're, I'll if they're out in the forest or in the dungeon or out on the road somewhere, and everybody wants to kind of do their own thing while they're decided to like bed down for the night. And everybody's just kind of well. I want to do this, and uh, us guys here are working on this stuff here, and we're we're trying to decide this here. And I'm like, okay, all you guys are kind of like sort of making all this noise and everything. I'm gonna roll. You know, okay, let's see what happens. The best thing so, I found to do in those situations is, as a DM, sit back, start rolling dice. Yeah, one player will catch on and start looking. And go, guys, 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 guys. We gotta and, make our move. And then yeah. everybody looks over and they see the DM going roll. Roll, mm-hmm. roll, and I'm just rolling the dice. I'm just, you know, because I'm bored. Might not mean anything, but they don't know it. Yeah, and most of the time <laughs> it means nothing. But if they start paying attention, I'm like, oh, okay, and then that's when everything starts happening. So. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Yeah, I do think that it's about the fundamental design of the game, though, and the fact that that the early editions of the game are different than fourth edition. Because I'm I'm thinking of, for example, when I run D and D. On a standard type of adventure when they're out in the wilderness or in a dungeon and they decide to camp there, usually I just roll three checks. I roll a wandering monster check for like the beginning, middle, and end of the night kind of thing is what I do. Mm-hmm. 
uh, and I would maybe increase the odds of a – so it might be a 1 out of a D8, but maybe it's a 2 out of a D8 if they have a, a lit fire or something, for example, something that would draw attention to them. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when I run champions, like I'm running that pulp game, with champions, when they get away from whatever bad stuff they're involved with, I don't roll for checks to see if their their evening is interrupted in champions because champions is based more on scenarios and kind of plot points and individual right. encounters. And can you maybe... imagine having a random encounter in Call of Cthulhu? <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, so it's, it's, just, it's not designed that way because D and thank God it isn't because that would be a very very <laughs> quick game. <laughs> be a quick game, yeah. <laughs> Single session Cthulhu every time. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's like a oh, random encounter. Oh, yeah. Look at a Shoggoth. Yeah. <laughs> And I think that's what makes – that's at least why I like uh, first edition D&D so much and, and I assume why a lot of people like it is because it, it does emphasize the environment as a thing that mm-hmm. is operating on its own rules and the characters are interacting with that environment. But kind of regardless of what the characters do, the environment still got bad stuff going on. And so that's right. where the random tables and encounters come in and other games don't necessarily have that feature. So it's a feature of AD&D. It's not something that is a bad thing. Right. It is definitely a feature because I think when you when said you emphasize random encounters, that's why a D&D, even, even up to, I would argue, even third edition, you could have either a, a, a standard plotted campaign or you could run a whole sandbox campaign. Yeah. You know, you could do it either way and it's perfectly fine. It's whatever you as a DM or as a group is most comfortable with. So uh, I've I played in both kinds of environments. I played it to where um, you know it was a it was a plotted out um, huge arcing campaign, right? Mm-hmm. You know, I think we've all played that, but I've also played in sandbox campaigns. Not many though, but I have, and um, they both had their they're positive and negative points, but I but the game I think you you hit on Tim it it does lend to either one of those. It doesn't favor either one. It's it's a totally modular uh, game that you can well, you can plug into having a sandbox campaign, or you can just do a, something as a story art campaign in itself. Sounds good. right. And the and the way the rules are written definitely favors the fact that. Whether it's a story arc campaign or, or a sandboxy or, or, or whatever, or a longer thing or, or a single session, it still favors the idea that the environment, the setting is what matters. Mm-hmm. And, and, that, and, and so in other words, if you're playing first edition, not even by the book, but sort of vaguely <laughs> inspired by the book in any mm-hmm. way, and the characters are exploring caves, you have a map of those caves. I mean that's like inherent with the game itself. Right. In fourth edition and in other games, you don't necessarily have a map of the entire caves. You might have a map of different areas within the caves, different sections, but then you kind of hand wave what's in between and you say, okay, you know, you went down a bunch of tunnels, you, you made some right and left turns, and you ended up here. But you don't mm-hmm. actually have the connecting things drawn out and mapped out. And that's a that's a big difference. The gameplay is fundamentally different when you have just kind of the vagueness in between uh, sure. encounters, whereas D and D, it's like no, you know, every every five or ten feet of this cave or this or this dungeon, there's a possibility that something could happen, and it matters. And that's right. why the whole uh, history about 
characters map players mapping out the dungeon is so important because they have to navigate their way out. And I think right. in D and D, the only time that kind of hand waving and vague area happens is maybe between dungeons like when they go back to town mm-hmm. maybe in town time passes at a different rate because you're right. kind of saying oh, okay you know you spent a week doing this and this you talk to these people and then you might role play some of those things but i think once you're actually exploring the world it gets right. more granular and more detailed and there's even an exception to that rule what if you're playing a campaign that is entirely city-based right yeah it could be flip-flopped maybe yeah. all the random encounters happen in the city and yep. all the other in-between stuff happens outside of the city. In the so, safe dungeon. You, you get there the you go. The, safe, the safety of your dungeon. Yeah. Well, I mean, I mean, we do have – I mean, I know people who, uh, who really dig playing a campaign that's entirely city-based. You know, there's a lot of uh, mm-hmm. mystery and intrigue and backstabbing, and they, they love that sort of thing. Hmm. So in that type of world, you're going to have – a uh, you can do random encounters in the city. Then you would have those things in there. Sounds like they'd love Legend of the Five Rings. Then, yeah, or uh, like was it City State of the Invincible Overlord? I mean, yeah. that's a ginormous box set that lends itself to a whole city campaign. I mean, you could do that with uh, like Forgotten Realms with Waterdeep. You can do a whole campaign within Waterdeep, and there's a ginormous dungeon under it. <laughs> so if you can go to Undermountain, so. So I, I think as far as time is concerned, it, it really there really is no hardcore set rule to saying that you have to have a rest uh a rest turn or encounter turn. But if you want those things, yeah, you know what, go for it. That if that's the kind of game that you want, I mean that's fine. Yeah. But to say that a a DM who Try, who runs a world that's living and organic and saying that random encounters do happen or he, you know, his his world reacts to how your adventurers react to it. And he's, if you say that's a jerk move, then, well, I'm sorry, I have to say you're wrong. It isn't. Absolutely. Agreed. So, well, I guess that's going to put a stamp on things. Yep, yeah, because we're out of time. Oh, and time is not on our side. <laughs> I was thinking more about Time by Pink Floyd, but hey. <laughs> I don't know. I was just talking about Time. I keep thinking of that movie with Denzel Washington in Time, I think it was called. Hmm. Not familiar with that one. Uh, the one when that, that bad guy keeps leaping from body to body and uh, taking people over, and he actually wins in the end. Oh, yes. Now I know it's I think it was called In Time, but it was a really good movie, though. Yeah. Anyway, uh, yeah, so that's the Roll for Initiative podcast, volume three, issue number 120. Yes, and then hopefully you guys can email us or get us on the forums or, you know, call us in and hear about how you guys handle, you know, the, the time that matters in your campaign. And, mm. you know, would like to hear some feedback on some of that. Definitely give us a call, 570-865-4210, where Tim is answering the phone. <laughs> uh, no, actually, I'm not. Oh, yeah. sorry. Because you didn't bring <laughs> snacks again. Yeah, okay. they won't let me. They won't let me near the phones. The kobolds are standing by. Yes. <laughs> Random encounters are standing by. And they have the time to listen to you. 
Yes, they do. <laughs> <laughs> They're jerks, too. Those random encounters. Such jerks. Yeah, they really are jerks. They're just a pain in the butt. Oh, a little PS to that? <gasps> to the random encounters? Oh, Not yeah. all random encounters are bad, either. They could be good. Right. Yeah, true. Like, you know, good things. Mm-hmm. Anyway, that's going to conclude the show. Hope you had a great week, and we'll see you next time. Goodbye, everybody. Keep see it ya. Keep it original, keep it old school, and good night. Roll for initiative.